Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Idol Australians with James Madison and Osha Ginsberg. Exploring the bits you might have missed from Australian history and Australian culture. And of course, you could find Toe Hider. He's on Spotify. He's also on Twitch. Toe Hider, who made the music for this very podcast. I'm Osha Ginsberg. That's James Matheson. Um, thanks for being here. This is Idol Australians. How are you doing, Jimmy? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It is, of course, the podcast that explores the deep, dark underbelly of Australian history and pop culture and unsung heroes from the gorgeous past of this wide brown land. One day we'll call the lock the lockdowns of 2020 and 2021 the gorgeous past. I'm in week three of a lockdown. You get to go out because you're making television, which apparently is an essential service. I don't know if you realise, but roses don't count themselves, Jimmy, and it's essential that someone's there to count those roses. Mm, I mean, getting bog roll. Picking up Chinese takeaway, um, palming off my kids to their grandparents, they're essential services, but I'm not sure if handing out roses is an essential service. I'm not saying that The Bachelor isn't important. I'm not saying that it is not essential viewing. I'm just saying... Um, is the chief medical officer on board with this? You being out there handing out roses? I mean, are you wiping down the roses? I get tested. I get a nasal swab four times a week. There's a like a lot serious lot of lockdown going on on our sets. I don't see a lot of uh, a lot of Dettol on set there. I don't see a lot of Kleenex tissues, and I do not see a lot of uh, Durex gloves. They're in a bubble, so they can make out. All right. We have to keep them in a bubble. But everybody else, like it's just it's masks and, and seven paces. Oh my god, can we please do that? Bachelorette in a bubble. She's gorgeous. She's talented. But she's allergic to everything. <laughs> this season it's the Bachelorette in a bubble. Pitch it. Pitch it to Warner Brothers with me next week. <laughs> oh my god. Finding love outside your own world has never been this good. Ah, shit. Now, what is it? It's got to be better than that. Um, um, I'm really hoping I can push myself outside of my comfort zone, but not too far because I'll die. I feel trapped in, you know, this fog of emotion and also this literal plastic ball that I can't leave. <laughs> <laughs> Another single note playing bubble soccer? Literally, this is all oh, I can do. Oh, dear. It's, um, it, it's, it's appointment TV. <laughs> I'm not sure if we'll get off the ground, but I don't mind it. Hey, um, I think one of the things that uh, early on in our friendship uh, bonded us together was our love of 
ridiculous ideas like that. One other thing was uh, an appreciation of 80s power ballads. A great love of early World Series cricket. Yes. Dennis Lilly's moustache, I think, yes. brought us together. Yes. Um, one of the things that also brought us together was bad slash great 80s action films. Oh, without a doubt. Once we both knew that we loved Bloodsport and Kickboxer and uh, Big Trouble in Little China, Bring I think me we Jumbo. both knew this is going to be a friendship that could last for a while. But um, something related to Big Trouble in Little China he is a little known actor that is in that film. But he's not just in Big Trouble in Little China. This guy is in virtually everything great ever made. I'm talking, of course, about James Hong. Now, you, you may not know who James Hong is, but if you saw his face, you'd be like, oh, that guy. And you know why you think, oh, that guy? Because James Hong has been in not just Big Trouble in Little China, He's also in The Golden Child. He was in Tango and Cash. He was in an episode of Friends. He was in an episode of Seinfeld. He was in Wayne's World. He was the dad in Wayne's World. That's right. Um, he was in Bloodsport. I think recently he's done a lot of VO work. He does a lot of work in, I think he's in uh, Kung Fu Panda. He was in Chinatown. Far out. He's in Flying High, and he's in Blade Runner. I mean, you could not think of a greater filmography on the planet than that of James Hong. But the thing is, you wouldn't really know James Hong until you saw James Hong. You don't know the name off the top of your head, but he's amazing in everything he does, and he's been in an incredible list of amazing things. Why am I telling you this? Because... In many ways, we have our own James Hong <laughs> in Australia, an actor who's been in pretty much everything. But you may not know the name of Toby Head, but when you see him, you're like, oh, of course, he's that guy, he's in everything. I'm talking, of course, about the wonderful Alex Paps. He's literally been in everything. A man who has been in so many things that it almost seems impossible. I'm talking about... Prisoner, The Henderson Kids, Neighbours, The Flying Doctors, The Saddle Club, Blue Healers, Play School for, you know, 15-odd years. And, of course, he was also in Home and Away. Now, no one in Australian drama history has pulled off the Home and Away Neighbours double. And perhaps he's done it. I think it's time, much like James Hong and the campaign to give him a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, it is time to recognise the great Alex Paps. Alex, how are you? Nice to meet you all. We wanted to shine a light on people of uh, our history and people of our culture that, you know, maybe don't get enough light shot on them for the things that they've achieved. We've spoken to the, the Australian people that created Wi-Fi. We spoke to the man that invented chicken salt. And I was saying that, but guys, there's this actor who's been on everything and I'm pretty sure he's the only guy to be in both Summer Bay, Erinsborough, and Play School. He's probably... <laughs> they need to invent a Logie for him. It's Alex Paps. I'm not sure about that. That's an interesting um, triumvirate, the right, right word. I'm not sure, but <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. 
Don't don't go fact checking it now. It's too Alex, late because no, no, no. you, you've you've now blown the whole premise of having you on the show. <laughs> yeah, you know, I I accept it. We also wanted to get you on the show because when people see you on TV or see a picture of you, I would imagine everyone is like, I know that guy. But at the same time, if you said, hi, that's Alex Paps, people might go, um, which one is he? Oh, yeah, he's that guy. It feels like you have been in so many important Australian cultural institutions over the years, but you haven't quite given you haven't quite gotten your due. So this episode is all about a Papsathon, a Paps Fest, uh, a celebration. I feel very, 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 very flattered. I have to say. Um, and you might be thinking, what is this all about? Why are you doing this? Um, but as Osha said, this is about uncovering the untold stories and celebrating those uh, unsung heroes. And in many ways, you're one of those in Australian culture. Tell us a little bit about your journey into acting, because we went through the list before you jumped on here, and it's pretty incredible. You have been on basically all the greatest dramas in Australian TV over the last 15, 20 years. Well, that's very kind. Um, and, again, I will I will receive that, you know, happily. Um, my journey into acting, um, I grew up in the Dandenong Ranges uh, in Victoria, about an hour out of Melbourne. Mum and Dad uh, were and still are involved in amateur theatre. So I, I grew up with their interest in, in acting and directing and uh, they were both primary school teachers. But Dad also was a hobby uh, had an agent and did little bit parts on TV. So he did little parts on the Sullivans and um, Homicide and, you know, some of those really early 70s shows. So I was, and they, and mum and dad loved film and so I was interested in it. And at high school, I got involved with the high school, you know, drama scene. Sport wasn't my thing. So kind of the arts and performance be, sort of became the, my, my area, I suppose. So I did a lot of school plays. I also got an acting agent. Got some little little parts in things, nothing significant. But then in in '86, I got a lead role in the Henderson Kids too, the second series, the follow up to the original Henderson Kids, and sort of worked steadily for a few years. Um, I went on to Home and Away and and co-hosted The Factory, The Flying Doctors, a bit of theatre, and then I decided to go to drama school and went to Whopper in Perth. I sort of did it in reverse. I remember Henderson Kids too. I remember seeing you for the first time. And uh, growing up in Brisbane, we were just so starved of any kind of pop culture. We were being so isolated up there. I was glued to The Factory, which was a, I think it was a Saturday morning music TV show on the ABC. And it was you and... Andrew Datto, yeah. throwing your music videos, which is what James and I grew up to do for a job. Mm. It was it was live. It was exciting. It was kind of early, early live music television in Australia. What Coming from a theatre background, coming from an acting background, what was it like doing that kind of live TV on a Saturday morning? A massive learning curve. Um, I had I'd filmed The Henderson Kids, and I think that had, that had gone to air in 87, and then um, I think the factory came up and then the Home and Away audition came up around the same time. Um, and I ended up commuting from Sydney to Melbourne doing the factory in, on the weekend and then going back to Sydney for Home and Away. But as far as the, the live presentation goes, look, I, I think I really warmed into it and got better at it, but it was, you know, full on at the start. Um, I guess 
as it was, you know, I was 18 years old and you're still sort of working out who the hell you are. I also had a, a you know, a, a fairly reasonable public profile, which kind of tells you who you are, you know, and, and if you're lucky, you kind of can differentiate what is real and what is, you know, what is contrived. So you, so, and also presentation is very different to acting. You're actually you're having to find a version of yourself that is natural and personable and it's also a role as presenter so it's it's its own thing uh, as you as you know it was look it was a blast I mean live television you know I mean I haven't done really much of it ever since but doing a three-hour live show with live bands and the thing with the factory was that became like a badge badge of honor was that if you came on the factory you played live you didn't lip sync we played clips, but the bands who came on, they prided themselves on and being able to pull it out and, and play live. Yeah, I got to meet some amazing people and it was exciting and, you know, the incredible amount of adrenaline and um, an amazing experience. I mean, and, and a rare one now, I think. You were 18 years old. You had the best mullet in the country. How on earth did you go out? How did you do your groceries? Like, what was it like? I think a lot of that got that kind of thing got exaggerated. I mean, look, I was not someone who went out a lot, even at that age. I didn't go to clubs. Um, I, I mean, I, I went a couple of times for, 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 you know, publicity functions or what have you. And we had, particularly with Home and Away, we had official kind of appearances and stuff, which were very, very intense. And But, look, I, I, had, a, I had an okay time of it. I mean, look, you know, I got recognised and occasionally it was intrusive. Most of the time it was very, very complimentary and people are friendly. And But, look, it, it wasn't something that I was enormously comfortable with and and I felt that there was, even at that age, I was very aware that there was this public persona which was one thing and then there was the person that I knew and they were quite different things. So reconciling that and balancing, you know, how to kind of be at, you know, age 18 and navigating that kind of world and, I mean, look, and I was thinking today, you know, I don't envy the kids uh, of, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 who are getting into the industry and, and, and are on a high-profile show in Australia and having to deal with the whole social media sort of tacit obligation to, I think, had I had to have done that all those years ago, I would have I would have loathed it. I mean, I'm not very good at it now, um, let alone imagining how I would have waded through it at 18, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think when we, we when we were on Idol, there was no social media, so there was a real clear delineation of what how much you were required to share of yourself mm. and your personal life and, and what was occurring when you weren't on screen. But now it feels like, as you're saying, those those lines are really blurry now, and there yeah. is such a pressure on anyone who is in the media or even sportsmen or anyone who has any sort of profile in order to, you know, appease the, the network or their club or the sponsors, they have to give way more of themselves than I think anyone has ever had to in that yeah. space. Mm. I don't know that it's, I mean, look, I, I can't speak for anyone else but myself, but I, I feel, I look at it and I think that can't be very healthy. <laughs> Um, it clearly it has its enormous pressures and some people, you know, I think it, I think it uh, affects people negatively, mm. uh, that kind of pressure. Mm. You're obviously one of the most recognisable faces in the country, noticeable for the acting gigs. I mean, I remember 
I can't imagine what it would be. You've downplayed it a bit, mate, but I remember being at, I think I was at Expo 88 or something, and you were shooting, oh. a, you were shooting a scene for Home and Away. I was in the crowd. Oh. That's John Farnham. Yeah, yeah. I was you in, were there. I was in the crowd. There was like 12,000 people there, and they rigged this camera up uh, uh, up in the sky for like it was this old school kind of thing they'd built for to get the shot of you guys at the Farnham show. And I just mm. remember just this heaving mass all around you. And Jim and I have been in crowds like that. It must have been intense. It must have been scary. I mean, John Farnham was just doing his John Farnham concert, but we were there, Nicole Dixon and I were there playing Frank and Bobby at the John Farnham concert because Sally, Kate Ritchie's character, couldn't go and she was sick and John Farnham comes to Summer Bay and meets her. That was fun. I mean, John Farnham, uh, I mean, still a massive figure, but in that late 80s period, as Mm. you know, he was huge, you know, absolutely massive. So to, to be at the concert was exciting. And, look, he, he even recognised me in the crowd and said, oh, hi, Alex. And I was, I was, so, <laughs> I was so thrilled. That was just a, a very quick side story about John Farnham. When he came into Channel 7 in Epping to shoot some the backstage of the concert, you know, at the studios, you know, we did a little scene. And he also shot the stuff where he visits Sally, Kate Ritchie's character, sick in bed, and he sings Help. And they needed him to do a recording of it just wild, you know, just uh, not, not filming, just just the audio. And they said, okay, John, you're ready, that I roll to record. And, of course, John Farnham's standing there in this, you know, dark studio with a boom hanging over him and he belts out help unaccompanied. Unbelievable. It was just one of those, you know, that voice, my God, you know, stunning. Um, what it does remind me of too, though, you talk about crowds, when it was intense and I re- it was really uh, unpleasant, was I was in the UK doing uh, pantomime on the back of Home and Away because, you know, uh, the profile of Australians because of our television series. And I had a ball. I, I did several pantos over a number of years and absolutely loved it. Um, but I remember the first one I did in, in Leicester, we did a couple of big functions of switching on the Christmas lights and, and, you know, heaps and heaps of people and people like a, what do you call it, a, a scrum, like people, uh, I mean, that's the closest to the term mobbing I've ever kind of experienced. And we did a thing where we appeared on the steps of the town hall. I mean, it sounds so so over the top and it, and it was, you know, and we, we were with the mayor and, his, and the lady mayoress and we were told to kind of go and, you know, go and mix with the crowd a little bit, which was someone's ridiculous you know very stupid idea and we started to move in the crowd and we started to get grabbed you know and um and it was instantly really unpleasant um and not friend not friendly like it was yeah and we got taken through the building stuffed into a a car and people had run around the back and were chasing the car beating on the windows (laughs) i mean it sounds it sounds ridiculous but it it did happen and it was very, very odd, you know, um, because, of course, I mean, thankfully, you know, we didn't think we were anything but just a couple of very fortunate Australian actors, you know. Like we didn't, you know, it's an odd thing to kind of reconcile. You go, well, there's so much attention and we're appreciative of the support for the show and it's nice to be liked, of course. But in that moment at that level, it was um, disproportionate to, you know, just the reality of being knowing who you are and knowing that it's... um a very ephemeral kind of thing and a very uh, exaggerated kind of reality, I guess. 
I mean, we, we've had moments like that when, when it's at the peak of it where it's so insane and so ridiculous and you're going to all these incredible things and you're being treated with sort of this, this faux adulation, but then you, you know, the next day will be at the dinner table mum and dad and your siblings who don't give a shit about any of that. I mean, this it's this beautiful grounding that exists maybe in lots of other parts of the world, but particularly in Australia as well. Mm. I think the idea of hitting mega stardom in Australia, you can never really go to your head too much because your mates are like, I'll pull your head in. Yeah. Mm. Um, and your family's there to just to rip the shit out of you yeah. at, at any possible moment. It's like you're saying, it's a bizarre parallel universe that, uh, that exists, but, but never for very long. Mm. Yeah. I used to notice it at Channel V um, when we did music TV together. You'd never see the bands who were assholes on the first album, you'd never see them twice. So you've been... Was it you started in? I think you started in Prisoner. You had a one part in Prisoner in the eighties, in eighty five or something. You did a job on Neighbours that year, and so to now is what thirty six years, Alex. What's the thing in common that you see among people that you still see around from those days? What's the thing that you see in them? They go, ah. Look, I think perseverance definitely. I don't think going to drama school guarantees anything, but for me it gave me technique that I did not have. So I go into work now, whatever the job is, and I have, I, I, I mean, it's the old, I have a toolkit. I have things that I can, I know that I can pull out that I didn't have. And they come from, they come from drama school. They come from experience, but they come from drama school. I mean, look, I'd be lying if I said, I mean, I've been very lucky in many ways and play school has been a gift for the last 15 years and thankfully, you know, continues. In the last couple of years, I've had a, a few acting jobs, which has been fantastic. Look, like many of us, I would love to be acting more, but my God, you know, I, I'm I've been and am incredibly fortunate, so I don't really have anything to complain about. You know, I'm in a, a lucky position. You know, and certainly over the last eighteen months, you know, with the entertainment industry has been kind of gutted, you know, in many ways, and is slowly kind of creeping back, but it's. I don't think we're out of the water, out of the, the deep water yet, to be honest. What's the conversation like when you get the call or you get a, an interest in becoming a presenter on Play School from an acting background? Do you think uh, that's a transition I don't want to make or did you jump at the chance? Uh, I'd wanted to do Play School for years and had made attempts to get an audition over several years, you know, ringing the agent and saying, listen, I don't know when they're auditioning, but can you try and get me in, da 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 And... I'm sure it was over a series of years that the answer was they've just auditioned, they're not auditioning, they're not auditioning in Melbourne, and it never happened. And then through a series of, you know, fortunate sort of um, incidents, I met someone who was a floor manager at Channel to, at the ABC in Sydney who happened to know she'd worked on Play School, knew the producer, knew when they were auditioning, said, get your agent onto it. And I got my agent onto it and they sent a, you know, a photo and they had a conversation and, and the same thing. We're not auditioning at the moment, you know, thank you, we'll put it on file. Nothing happened. And then I think it was, I can't remember, maybe a few months later I said to my agent, look, just give it another shot. And my agent rang and spoke to the, to the then producer and she said, look, we're actually, we are auditioning at the moment 
um, and we're not, we weren't, we're actually looking, just looking for women. But because you've called, uh, I, I, I did see Alex's picture. We'll, we'll see him, but he needs to understand that we're actually, we are actually looking for women. So anyway. you turned up in a dress. <laughs> well, it doesn't happen so much these days, but, you know, place called <coughs> dress ups is one of my favourite, you know, favourite parts <laughs> of the show. Um, so, yeah, so I auditioned and, um, and you know it ha- and, and it happens. So um, tell me about the audition situation. Like you've got to audition as an as an actor. That's part of the job. It's not offer only in Australia. Really, you kind of have to get in front of the camera and 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 show them you can do the gig because the risk is so high in the country. What's the play school audition like? They've evolved a bit over the years since I've been on the show because I've I've helped with the some of the callbacks for new newer presenters. But when I did it, it was a like a mini episode. Just just you. I can't remember, maybe a five-minute scene, and it consisted of, you know, the, the hello, I'm Alex. There was a song, I think, introducing myself. I, t- I did a told story, so it was, it was a story with a song. I think Five Little Candles was one of the songs I did. Um, I can't remember whether I did any craft, but it was very intense and I knew that it was going to be, I knew that it was going to be nerve-wracking and I knew that it was a big opportunity and I prepared, like, I, I was prepared, that was, and that was the thing. I walked in there and I thought, well, whatever happens, I know. Like I walked in there nervous, but confident. I really did. Um, and the but the thing that was the thing that kind of was uh, that that didn't almost unseat me, but it was really kind of full on. Was when I walked into the audition room and I could see, you know, the producer was coming to shake my hand, and I could see that the guy who was the director and the the, the accompanist camera person. But they lined up all the toys to greet the auditionees as they came in. So you're walking, you're walking into this room, you know, hearts going. You're thinking, do I am I set? Am I ready to go? And suddenly, there's your childhood before you. And I said, I said, are these the, are these the real toys? And they said, yeah. And I said, could I pick up little Ted? <laughs> like you just go into childhood. <laughs> It was over. It was an overwhelming moment to meet those icons because they are, and I still look at them. I mean, I was I was in at work today, and I had to do a couple of things with the toys, and they're, I, they're you they you you treat them with reverence, like they're special special things. You know, we're very fortunate to be custodians on the show. Like that never um, that has never gone away. What do you think it was that made you want to be on it in the first place? Like constantly getting in touch with them, thinking about it, preparing, hassling your age. And what was it about that role that really appealed to you? Look, I think, I think partly, and it's the same thing, it's the same thing that's attached to it now, is that um, for any of us who grew up on play school, and there's a, you know, a lot of people, um, there's a sentimental attachment to it. And there's an association with childhood. And, but of course, over the years, and, you know, when I became an actor, and, you know, you think about play school, and, you start to think about it from a performance point of view, maybe what would that be like? I knew a couple of people who'd done it. And, of course, you learn very quickly that the show is revered, like it's valued. It's not just that it's this thing that's gone on for a long time. It's that it is valued as, a, as an important complementary tool, if you like, to early childhood development, you know, via television, of course. And you learn, too, that it's a highly coveted job that a lot of actors want to do it. So there's... There's cachet attached to it too, you know, un- without question. But yeah, it's look, uh, I, I'm still, I'm still 
I still feel very, very lucky to be part of it. It's it's a, it's been an amazing thing for me professionally, certainly, but such a lovely thing to have personally as well. Like it's to be part of something like that is um is pretty special. And and when you meet people, you know, you meet the audiences and you meet the families and you meet the kids. And now I'm meeting kids who've grown up. I've been on it long enough now to be meeting kids who are in their mid to late teens who grew up watching me. And that's like amazing, you know, startling. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, okay, so I'm actually getting into that area. I'm that old and I've been on the show that long. Um, you know, and that's just rubbish, you know. It's a special thing to to meet the, the kids who've grown up. And yeah. it's kind of also lovely too, a lot of the parents of those children watched Home and Away when it began and watched the Henderson kids when it, you know, when it was on. And yeah. I have been very, very lucky to be part of shows and to be part of a show that have been loved by people, you know, and like, you know, so many people don't have that, you know, so I'm very, very fortunate. Was there any gig that you said, yeah, nah, I'm not going to do that, that you were like, damn it, but it got huge? No. I mean, look, there, there would have been things I said no to, a couple of things I said <laughs> no to, but it, yeah, no, nothing nothing that I said no to that suddenly became this, you know, thing for somebody. Yeah, fortunately, because I think that would be kind of tricky to reconcile. Alex, looking at that list, you didn't say no to anything. <laughs> so, you, you're being very flattering. Um, it, it's it's an okay history, but it's you know it's um yeah you well I'm I'm feel very flattered that you that you feel like um you know covered a lot of bases. I think what has happened and I think it's you know I feel the same often when people come up to me and say oh I watched you as a kid or oh, I love that thing you did one time on this episode of this thing there is a real disconnect because you're shooting it it's your work you know you're not the recipient you're not the viewer and so you you have this um yeah as I say a disconnect from how important sometimes what you're doing or what people are viewing or consuming has in their, you know, cultural memory. Um, but I, but, I, but I'm, I understand it, and I'm sure you do too, when you've met people who you've grown up with or exactly. shows and you've gone, and, it, and if you've had the opportunity to meet them, you've gone, I just want to say, <laughs> I, I mean, I've done it, you know. Um, so I, so I, I understand it, you know, um, and it's a good reminder too that when people come up to you, it's, a, you know, it's, I mean, I, I feel like I'm always gracious, but, you know, it's a reminder. This is in the way that shows have been important to me and actors have been important to me, when people come up to you, it's comes, it, you know, it's a big thing. It's a big thing, you know. Alex, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna tell you right now. I, there's no doubt you are gracious. I, uh, you are one of the nicest, most humble people I've ever spoken to, and I know Guy Sebastian, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't quite. I just can't quite get. I mean, I've been I've been trying to chase you for podcasts for quite a while now, and that was always your response. Like, oh, I don't really have that much to talk about. Oh, do people really be interested in me? I don't know. This humility that you have, uh, where does it come from? How did not many people who have had your career walk around like that? Where did it come from? Well, I guess I don't want to. How do I? I've been very, very lucky, but I don't, I don't see that I've had a, a remarkable career. Um, I, you know, I've been very, very fortunate, no question. I've been more fortunate and had more successes than a lot of people. And if I never acted or performed again, 
I could look back and go, God, you had some, you, you, you had some really good opportunities and, you know, you did well. It's not to say that I don't, like, I, I, ironically, I probably have more ambition to do more now than I did when I was 20, you know, um, which is often the way, I guess. Um, the humility, I, I suppose it in part comes from having come from a really loving, sensible family. <laughs> it's a big part of it. I think it's also about the kinds of friends that I have. Wherever it comes from, it's it's an aware, and maybe it's maybe it's part of having had those experiences as a young person with being thrust into a, a high-profile situation with television. I was lucky that, in spite of having this profile and this image of this person called, it's funny, I can't even say my name, but you know, <laughs> what I'm um, that I kind of recognised it as something quite separate from who I was. As seductive as that thing can be, because it is, you know, the, the attention and the adulation and the opportunities and, the, you know, especially being young, you know, it's like this thing is saying this is who you are and we love you. Here, this is who you are, you know, here you are on the covers and, and, and here you are and we want to interview you and everyone's screaming and all of that is saying, wow, you're a very, very important person. And, of course, you're not. You're just you within this kind of unique context. And I'm not, I'm not saying that I wasn't grateful for the, the, the attention in the sense that like people liking you in, a, in, in the entertainment industry, that's a good thing. We all know that, you know. We want people to appreciate what we do. But the, I guess the extent of the, the publicity and the, and the way you're, you know, the way uh, TV writing, you know, exaggerates things and colours things up and I, I'd read things and go, well, I don't recognise that person. Who is, who is that person they're writing about? I guess I was lucky I had a good brain in that sense, yeah. Honestly, as someone who believed all that shit that got written, as someone who believed the noise that those crowds were making, that's probably the thing that's kept you working and kept you safe and healthy and, and alive because, <laughs> um, you know, some people believe that stuff and they, don't, they, never, they never come out of that hole and it can swallow them up. Yeah, yeah. Well, we see it all around us, don't we? Like yeah. I think it's become even more insidious because of, as we were speaking mm. earlier about social media and the, the pressure around that and the, the uh, collective addiction that we all have to attention now in some form, you know, that we've got these devices that are built to addict us, you know. <laughs> now we're all, you know, we're all uh, vulnerable to it, I think. But if you're a performer, especially a young performer, I think um, that could be very tricky territory. You know what, Jimmy, listening to him describe some of the times during Home and Away when the just absolute hysteria was surrounding him, he was as big as Jason Donovan at the time. And how down to earth Alex was, the way he was able to constantly frame, this is who I am to these people, but it's not who I am. Like that is some deep, deep self-control to not get carried away with all that. That's amazing. I think the key is just realising that it's all nonsense, you know? Television is fun and it's enjoyable, but it's nonsense. It's ridiculous. You're not curing cancer. You're not solving homelessness. You're not working in the cold face of palliative care or of um, a children's oncology ward, you know? It's just 
froth and bubble that gets people through the evening when they get home after a hard day and want to just check out. But it's kind of nonsense. You know that. You're still working in it. You love it. It's enjoyable. But it's kind of like, yeah, this is really a lot of fun. And it kind of has meaning to some people, but it's at the same time a little bit meaningless. Do you know what I mean? I'm not saying your job is meaningless. No, no, no. I get what you're saying. It's preposterous. You know, it's preposterous, but it is preposterous. And part of that is everybody knows it is. And everyone's willingly enjoying how preposterous it is. I can see that now. I look at Alex and I look at the way he was able to hold it together and is still able to hold it together. And he barely took a compliment the whole time we spoke to him. We were just lauding over how successful he's been. He didn't want to hear it. He was like, yeah, I don't think so. He just kept batting it away, batting it away. That's a superpower. Like to have that kind of humility, that's incredible. That's, That's some inspirational stuff there. Do you feel like you got carried away with it sometimes? Me? Yeah. I took a running jump into the big scary red slide at wet and wild head first. And by the time I got to the bottom, they drained the splash pool. <laughs> and why do you think for you it was so alluring? Because um, the image that people wanted to believe was actually me, was so much bigger and more confident and better about who I felt I was on the inside. I just wanted that to putt to be true. And so I inhabited this kind of simulacrum of myself for a while. Um, But then when I guess people started leaning on me in that simulacrum to, to be accountable, it was held together with, you know, sticky tape and blue tack and it all fell to bits. I've met people who have been in TV and radio for a long, long time and most of them are really awesome. Some of them, though, have been a version of themselves for so long that the line has blurred to the point where I don't think they know where that part of them ends and who their actual true authentic self is. And that's um, that, that's frightening in many ways to think that you no longer know where your performative part is and and your true self exists. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, I absolutely I have absolutely seen. It. I've been I I lost. I remember people even saying to me like, "We're just at dinner. Why are you talking like you're on television?" And I'm like, "What are you talking about?" <laughs> That's crazy. It's a crazy, it's yeah. such a head fuck. It completely is. But yeah, he's so gorgeous because he's managed to, for the whole time, avoid all those pitfalls that lie we're in. So have you. You've managed to like step over those landmines and dig yourself out of wherever you were and really come out the other side a much more uh, rounded, soulful human being, I reckon. And it's really beautiful because that shit is seductive. Yeah. It's not easy to find your way out sometimes. It takes being brave enough to deal with the shit parts of your personality that are a part of you that hurt other people and being willing to accept them as a part of who you are. All right, brother. I love you. Great to talk to the Papsmeister. How good was it? And I look forward to doing it again with you next week. You're the best, buddy. 
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.